Hi, everybody. This is Emily Trenum, the host of Memphis Metropolis. I'm away from the microphone this week, so we're rebroadcasting one of my favorite episodes. Hope you enjoy. Welcome to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis is all about our city as an urban place, including its neighborhoods, buildings, pathways, and parks, as well as the people who shape it. Join us each week as community leaders and commentators talk with me about our shared built environment. Welcome back to Memphis Metropolis, everyone. You're listening to WYXR 91.7 FM across town. I'm your host, Emily Trenum. And this week, it's the third in our series of Neighborhood Spotlights. And I'm delighted to welcome uh, Kathy Yancey Temple, who is from the Douglas community and is the executive director of the time is now CDC. I got to know Kathy through my time Actually, I think at Community Development Council, and then we met there, and then now with High Ground News, we've done some things together. So, uh, Douglas seemed like a great a great neighborhood to talk about today. So, welcome, Kathy. Thank you for having me, Emily. I really appreciate it. So, Kathy, let's talk about Douglas. So, I know probably everyone's heard of Douglas, but I'm I'm not sure. Everyone knows exactly where it is. So let's just start out. Where is Douglas sort of geographically located in the city? Douglas, of course, is in North Memphis um, on the Chelsea Corridor. We're sandwiched between, we're about 25 blocks between uh, the very large community of Hollywood, which I'm sure everybody in Memphis knows, and Nutbush. So if you are stretching or yawning while you're driving down the Chelsea corridor, <laughs> <laughs> you may miss it because we're about 25 blocks along Chelsea, but we are 25 interesting blocks. Well, I was going to say, um, and we'll talk about this a little more in a minute, but I think Douglas, the name Douglas is more well known. I, people do know Hollywood. And people have heard of Nutbush, especially people who grew up here. But Douglas trumps them all when it comes to history, I think. So, so let's talk about that. Like Douglas is is um, one of the most historic African American neighborhoods in Memphis. So, tell me a little bit about you know the history and um, was it named after Frederick Douglass? Douglas was named after the famed abolitionist Frederick Douglass. And we all, always say Douglas with two S's because there is a Douglas family that goes back generations in Douglas, but they are one S. And most Douglas is spelled with one S. So it's always Frederick Douglass with two S's. Yeah, so Douglas was established by a freed slave, actually. Uh, right after slaves were, uh, slaves were freed, a slave owner uh, freed his slave with his actual 40 acres and a mule. That slave left the mule for tax purposes and took the 40 acres, and that 40 acres became Douglas. So so the the slave, um, did he, uh, was that the plantation at the time? 
you know, we don't have much history about it uh, before that. Um, we do know, though, because my family goes back generations in Douglas, we do know that Douglas was full of cotton fields and fruit trees. So we imagine um, that it probably was plantation land, but there's just no real record that far back. And was Douglas ever its own incorporated community? Like I know a lot of things we think of as neighborhoods now, including even things that are sort of close in like Binghampton were, were at one time their own independent communities. Was that the case with Douglas? Uh, not at first. Um, Douglas did have one of the first schoolhouses for African-American children in Memphis. And is that that actually started at the church, first church? It was all, of course, like many uh, things, was the schoolhouse was also the church, and it is it is it was located in what is now Douglas Park, uh, and that church is still in this community. Back then, it was called Friendly Way Baptist Church. Now it is called Saint Paul Missionary Baptist Church, Douglas, so the, the largest church in Douglas. The building is still standing. Um, not the original building. The original building was actually in Douglas Park, where Douglas Park is now. It was then moved over to Brooken Street, a, a small one-room uh, building that housed the church and the school. Now, the older church, the second built church, is on Brooken, but the larger part of the church is on Pope, and it does. Um, it's right off of Chelsea. It's a huge church, so you can't miss it if you're coming through. So, uh, and Douglas has been has always been African American, right? It was developed um, to serve the African American community. That is the one. That is one of the the uh, rare things about Douglas is Douglas has always been a black community. It was never a community that was white or any other color that turned black. It has always been a black community. So did you grow up in Douglas? Born and raised in Douglas. Um, lived here and there in between. Uh, we we moved to Los Angeles in the 70s, then back to Memphis, then back to Los Angeles. And I, I moved back to Memphis in 99, um, really to uh, reestablish my ties with my family, my grandparents. My mother had moved back. So we have very long roots uh, here in Douglas. And your dad is still living, right? No, at my grandfather okay. actually is still living. My grandfather will be 97 uh, in September. And he is actually originally from Winona, Mississippi. And the, the story, we love the family story of how he ended up in Douglas. Uh, my grandfather, had, uh, back in those days in Mississippi, they didn't... Uh, African-Americans, Black children were born at home. My grandfather never did not have a birth certificate. We do not know his actual, he does not remember his actual birthday. The Army gave him one when he joined. So when he left the Army, he was passing through Memphis on his way to New York. He wanted to settle in New York. Through Memphis, he came through Douglas walking, selling suits, and he saw my grandmother standing on the porch, and he never left. That's an amazing story. He's been here for a very, very long time. So he came He came through Douglas on foot selling suits, and he saw your grandmother, and it was love at first sight. 
It was lovely. He said she had the prettiest legs I ever saw. <laughs> that's that's an amazing story. So who lives in, I mean, a, a, in a lot of neighborhoods that I've, you know, the neighborhoods that I've had the opportunity to visit, the people that are living there a lot of times are elders, you know, homeowners, and then the, some of the families have moved out and there's, um, you know, aside from the homeowners, it's, um, you know, rental housing. And so who lives, uh, I mean, you've obviously come back and I, I've met some of your your partners uh, at Time Is Now CDC. Obviously, some people have come back, but generally speaking, who lives in Douglas now? Right now, uh, Douglas is a very transient community. Uh, right now, we do not have a lot of home ownership. What we do have is a lot of blight from homes being left behind. Um, so a lot of the original families are still in Douglas. Uh, what has happened is, like, like myself, went away to go to college, went and saw the world, and then I came back. And right now what we're having in the last decade, 15 years, we're having a rash of younger folks in my generation coming back and rebuilding grandma's house and rebuilding mom's house and reconnecting with the community. Um, so we're in the process really of rebuilding. I think people do feel a, a sense of community wanting to come back. And, you know, as you said, Douglas is relatively small. It's tight knit. Probably there's a kind of a small town feel once, especially if you've been there a long time. Absolutely. There, there are a lot of people here who live their entire lives in this 25 block radius. We, we have our own elementary school, high school, middle school. We have Porter Leaf. We have a couple of convenience stores. Um, it's not what it could be, but it is definitely a very small town within a city. Well, I had an opportunity recently to go to, because I'd been to Douglas Park before, but, uh, you know, a few months ago, uh, of course, I haven't, like a lot of people, haven't been out and about in the neighborhoods as much because I've been, you know, staying home. But I did have an opportunity to come to Douglas Park um, when you had an event. And we'll talk about Time Is Now CDC in a minute. But, um, you know, Douglas Park, I was, was re, again, impressed by it. Um, so talk, just say a few words about the park and then also some of the other, you mentioned the schools, there's a community center. I mean, what are some of the things you think of as sort of assets? And you've mentioned some of them, but elaborate on that a little bit. Uh, Douglas Park is our biggest asset. Douglas Park is our true community center. Our park, we use our park daily and regularly. Most of the community we have one of the best parks. And the, the best thing about our park is it's in our neighborhood. It's not on the main street. And so if you don't know that it's there, we don't have strangers or strange activity going on in the park. It's all people we know. We have our pool there. Um, we have a baseball diamond there. We have a walking path there. We used to have a golf course there. And so Douglas Park is our community center and our biggest asset. Well, and it's um, it's a nice sized park. Um, and um, another thing, when I was there recently, um, 
I drove around the perimeter of the park and at the very northern tip, it's almost got a little bit of a rural feel, which I thought was very cool because I think of Douglas as, you know, a fairly urban area. And, but it's, I guess it's right there by the, um, you know, where you, where you would start the floodplain and, um, and it's got a little bit of a rural feel. It's very cool. And and we have plans for that area too, that, that area behind the park is jointly owned by MLGW. There's a park because part of it is an easeway. Uh, part of it is owned by the railroad company. And another part of it is owned by the chemical company that is right next to it, Pinnacam. We would like to establish that area with some walking paths, sort of like what the Green Line is in Midtown. Because when I was growing up, when my mom was growing up, that area was, it always had trees. But we can go through there and get clear to the other side of Douglas, which is Crump. That was the shortcut. You can go right through there. So at one time, there were ways to walk through there, and we would like to get back there with that area. Yeah, that sounds like a great idea. Well, let me ask you a little bit about the um, Douglas High School, because when I started working in community development, which was around 2000, you know, I always heard, this is before I met you, um, you know, I've always heard that when the, of course, Douglas High School, very historic, and of course, in Memphis, I realized this after I moved here, you know, people take where they went to high school, that's a big deal, no matter how old you are, that was completely hard to wrap my mind around it, because I barely think about my I grew up in a small town. I barely think about my high school, but that is very important. And Douglas High School uh, has a long legacy, very strong alumni, but then it was just torn down or closed. And I heard that, that that really had a devastating impact on the community. I know it's been rebuilt, but can you just talk a little bit about that? I don't know if you lived here then or not. I did. Actually, uh, we were in school during that time. And right now I live in, in our home house, the house that I grew up in. The school I can go out on my porch and see the school. It was that way when I was younger. So we were able to walk to Douglas Elementary, which is around the corner. And we were all looking forward to going to Douglas High School. My grandmother, four generations back, and since then have all graduated from high school. What we were unaware of at the time, because I was in middle school and this was in the late 70s, I want to say 79, 80, 81, because the original school, it did close in 81. We were, the country was dealing with busing. Um, At the time, Raleigh, the community of Raleigh, not even five miles up the road, was an all white, very prestigious neighborhood. They built Pegmont. But the city did not want to divide the population in an effort to desegregate schools. So the choice was either the kids in Douglas, Mitchell Heights, Nutbush will go to Craigmont and not Douglas, or the Raleigh kids will go to Douglas and not Craigmont. Well, the times being what they were, the white vote. Yeah, we we know how that turned out. (laughs) Right. So that's how Douglas was shut down in 1981, the year I was supposed to go. It broke my heart. I'm sure because I think it was just I'm sure it was especially, again, sort of Douglas being sort of a small knit community. I'm sure it was the the hub for all kinds of things. It was the life of our community. 
I mean, my grandmother, my great grandmother, her mother started Douglas's Booster Club, the Graham women. And so this has been a part of our lifeline for generations and for it to be taken away. Um, I didn't understand it then, but I know now, but for it to be taken away in the way it was, was re it really brought down the community. So has the, I haven't been inside the new school, but certainly from the outside, you know, it's beautiful. Has that, um, I mean, you can't undo the damage that that kind of thing does on a neighborhood. Um, and I know part of your rebuilding work is probably undoing a lot of that, but has, has the having a new school there helped? Absolutely. It has. We love the new school because we love our community. It was actually us that fought to, for a new school. Um, of course, there are more young people. So Craig Munt with overcrowding, our next choice was to send our kids way out in Millington to Raleigh, Egypt. So there was a push uh, from the residents and the city councilwoman then, Barbara Swearingen, where then, Holt, and where now, she was city council. She was instrumental in bringing the school, a new school back to Douglas. Also, my aunt, who was a teacher and retired from Douglas, uh, um, Dolores Briggs, uh, then Miss Bradley, everybody knew her as Miss Bradley. They were instrumental in bringing us the new school. It's one of the newest schools in SES system and it's state of the art. So we absolutely love it. Well, I remember, um, you know, I did some advocacy work when uh, Councilwoman Holt where or Holt was on council. And I remember how, what an incredible advocate she was for the neighborhood. Cause she's from Douglas, right? She still lives here. Okay. She still lives there. Okay. So uh, did your daughter go there? Yes. Both of my son and daughter graduated from Douglas. I'm the only missing link in there. <laughs> well, so I was privileged enough, brought my children home and they graduated. Douglas. That's great. It is. Well, if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. And I'm talking to Kathy Yancey Temple, who's the executive director of the Time Is Now CDC in Douglas. So, Kathy, that's a great transition to Time Is Now. So, Time Is Now is a community development corporation working in the Douglas area. So, I want to hear about some of your programs because you've been super active um, during this time with COVID and I know before, but um, when did the Time Is Now CDC start and what was the sort of impetus to, to get that going? Um, the Time Is Now, really, we started out as a neighborhood association I think it was in 2014. It may have been around 2012 or 13 because it was just a group of us residents that wanted to make things better. We just started small. I think it was three of us. <laughs> and we just eventually grew more and more residents. We started out by doing picking up trash in the street. We would pick up trash in the street. We would have outreaches where we gave away clothes. We took in people's clothes, you know, cleaned them, gave them to folks in need. Then we were able to start preparing meals. So we slowly built ourselves into a CDC. We just got our 501c3 last year. And so since that time, and our, our CDC really started with myself and my childhood friend, my partner, Robert Perry uh, II, 
we have skyrocketed since doing our 501c3. We have, like I said earlier, Douglas was always a community of fruit trees and natural trees, but all of that went down when the community went down. So last year we started our first orchard, uh, which we're all very proud of, and we plan on doing at least one orchard on every street. You know, I don't think I know about the orchard. Where is it? It's on Ellington Street. It is on the street that is actually right uh, next to Penicam. But it, the the property was donated to us by another generational resident who desires the for the community to prosper. And we started planting uh, with the help of Memphis Tilth and Mia Madison. We started planting fruit trees last year. And we all know about the blight in vacant lots. It's our desire to turn at least two vacant lots on each street into an orchard so that the street can feed itself. I love that. I love that idea. So just to digress for a second, you know, when we talked about Douglas Park, we didn't talk about Juneteenth. Juneteenth. We live for Juneteenth out here. Uh, My aunt, Glenn Johns Reed, started Juneteenth in 1993 And it started off as a surprise birthday party for a church member. Um, I wish she was here to tell this story because she tells it best. But from that, um, she found out, she she got word about a celebration, some type of celebration for when Africans were freed from slavery. None of us had ever heard this history before. As she learned the history, it started off as a surprise birthday party. The next year, it was a picnic. And within three or four years, we had a full-fledged three-day festival in Douglas Park that always happens Father's Day weekend. So we've been celebrating Juneteenth, which is the official free freedom of slaves from slavery here in America in 1865, and trying to bring recognition to that special time and that holiday uh, almost 30 years now. Wow, I didn't know it had been going on that long. Well, I was thinking about it because when I was in Douglas Park several months ago, it was really on Juneteenth, and time is now CDC was doing some food giveaways and some other activities. So I know you've been... Talk a little bit about, you know, the impact of COVID on the community, because your organization has really stepped up and led during a, what's a very difficult time to try to help residents of Douglas manage through the crisis. Right. And as we all know, disenfranchised communities uh, like Douglas really are the last ones, if anything is going to trickle down, we're the last ones to get access. And we needed to change that. Um, so those of us who are were willing and able, uh, we reached out to the right connections. We've been helped tremendously uh, by the official Black Lives Matter Memphis. We've been we've partnered uh, with a couple of company business. We've been able to get PPE out here to our people, masks, hand sanitizer, and that started in April of last year when when COVID first hit we went out and found the connections that we need to get direct services to our people. Right now, I have boxes of masks and hand donated uh, for, for, for people in our community. So right now we are, we feel like we're in a little bubble 
although we've had a couple of COVID cases here, it hasn't hit Douglas hard at all. Well, I just admire that so much about, you know, your work is that, I mean, it should, it it should, it shouldn't be, you're right about neighborhoods, disenfranchised neighborhoods sort of getting the crumbs. It shouldn't be that way, but Absolutely. it is, unfortunately. And I just really loved how you guys just said, you know what? These resorts aren't coming here. We're going to go get them and bring Absolutely. them here. We understand that we have to go get it. We are not, We've Douglas has never been the type of community where we sit around and wait for someone else to get the job done. When I was growing up in Douglas, we had a butcher, we had a gas station, a dry cleaner, we had an ice cream manufacturer. Everyone is em- was employed. You either worked at Buckeye or you worked at the railroad station. It was a booming community. Once the schools closed and the manufacturing jobs went overseas, that is what really brought down the community. But we can bring this back through our own small businesses that once flourished here in Douglas. And that's what we're doing now. We encourage our our residents um, in keeping their homes and their outside properties healthy. We're encouraging more healthy eating. We're providing more healthy choices of food by growing community gardens and orchards. Um, We're trying to change, not, we're changing the narrative, not just the mindset, but the narrative. We I am old enough to know that Douglas was once a prosperous community with beautiful homes that people desired to live here. We are going to be back there and we're going to do it intentionally. I feel confident that that kind of prosperity is going to come back to Douglas. So I guess last question, and you, you talked about this, but in terms of time is now CDC, What's your, where do you see the organization going? Would you, would you, are you gonna focus on the, you know, community engagement outreach? Would you eventually like to get into development? Um, and, or are you planning to do that through partnerships? Uh, we, we are looking at development. Uh, there are a lot of blighted homes that can be affordable homes for low income families. This is the perfect community for that setting because this is how that community start. This community started, so that is our ultimate goal: is to get into development so that we can redevelop uh, the community in a comprehensive way. And that is why we chose that name. The time is now Douglas Redevelopment Corporation. Our goal is to redevelop this community back into an economically viable community that is self-sustainable and shares in the equity, has some equity within the community, which also gives us equity in the city. Well, I've always loved the name of your the organization. It just, it is great. The time is now. I mean, Absolutely. the time is now and we are the people to do it because Absolutely. you can't, um, no matter what your circumstances are, you can't wait around for things to change. You have to. So that's the approach that we take. We understand that the power is in knowledge. Decide. Make the change. Make the change. You have to be the change. Exactly. So, Kathy, we're running out of time, but what else do you want listeners to know about Douglas or about Time Is Now? Anything else I didn't ask you that you want to share? 
I do want to share um, the biggest news that we have, that we have successfully developed a blight crew for Douglas. We are employing people now. And we got there in less than a year. And, and we want to be not only be an example of what can be done out of sheer will, but we also want to help our neighbors. And we're partnering with a group in Hollywood to duplicate this blight pro program for Hollywood. So I, we believe in not only pulling our own selves up, but we also uh, believe in bringing our neighbors, our sisters and brothers along with us. That's wonderful. So the Blight Crew um, is people in the community that you're paying to uh, do cleanup and blight eradication, that kind of thing? Clean up, tend the gardens, tend the orchards. We do small home repairs. We keep the vacant lots cut. We're doing everything to bring the aesthetic pride back into our community, we already have the internal pride. That's always been Douglas' motto. Uh, we, we're Douglas proud. There's a lot of pride in our neighborhood, but people look at it and you don't physically see it, but we can change that. And it's part of changing the narrative. It is changing the narrative. That's, that's a big part of what it's about. Well, Kathy, this is great. As I said, I just admire what you and Robert and your team is doing Douglas has so much going for it, and uh, I want I join you in the desire for it to be, you know, prosperous and vital and a, a neighborhood of choice for people to come. So thank you so much for coming onto Memphis Metropolis and telling us all about Douglas. Thank you for having us, Emily. We appreciate the exposure, and I appreciate you so much. You're listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. Have you checked out any of WYXR's other shows? You can see the whole program guide on our website at wyxr.org. And while you're there, please consider making a donation. We're a brand new station lifting up everything Memphis, and we need your support. But don't go away. Stay tuned for the rest of the show. Welcome back to the second half of Memphis Metropolis, everybody. I'm Emily Trenum, and I'm here with Cole Bradley, who's one of our regular commentators. Cole is the managing editor for High Ground News. Welcome back, Cole. Hey, Emily. Thanks for having me back. So, Cole, in the first half of the show, um, we had a neighborhood spotlight about the Douglas neighborhood, and... The guest was Kathy Yancey Temple, who's the energetic leader of an organization in Douglas called The Time Is Now Douglas CDC. I met Kathy when they were really just starting as a neighborhood association several years ago. And lately they've gotten more formalized, got their nonprofit status. And you and I, I had met Kathy before, but you and I got to know her more recently because High Ground was embedded in North Memphis for the first half of 2020. And I think we intended to spend some time physically in a number of the different neighborhoods up there, you know, Hollywood and Hyde Park and Vecca, visiting them as much as we ordinarily would. But we did spend some time in Douglas and got to know Kathy more. So I thought it, it would, you'd be great to come on and we could talk a little bit about 
more about the neighborhood. So how does that sound to you? Sounds great. And I love Kathy. Um, I think that not just Kathy as an individual, she's wonderful as an individual, but also the work they're doing over there. It's very cool stuff. I mean, always, always we love to seek real grassroots community organizing and community led revitalization efforts. And yeah, like you said, she's so dynamic. Well, and one of the things she and I talked about is community development efforts were not successful, but um, some of the recent activity up there has been very focused on affordable housing, which is badly needed, but there's not, if you can't operate at scale, it's very difficult to have an impact. And the community development organizations that were up there got some federal grant funding to do affordable housing, but only got enough money to do, you know, a couple of houses. Of course, those houses are for home ownership. And then it's, you have the challenge of finding buyers. So I was just, when I met Kathy and, and heard about, and I told her this when we talked, that I was just really happy to see her starting at that real grassroots level to build a foundation, to build trust, to build community, and then to and then to grow from there because that's really the 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 secret to capa- organizational capacity building, in my opinion. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, and to be realistic, I mean, housing is one of the most fundamental concerns in the city across the city, in particular in these heavily disinvested areas like Douglas. So, I mean, you're just, you're not exactly setting yourself up for success to go straight in and try to tackle such a major issue. Um, Whereas, yeah, getting buy-in from community members, listening to community members about what they want to see happen and what their priorities are, uh, and being able to set some more achievable goals for the short term. One of the things that makes Douglas unique is that, you know, people characterize it, and Kathy does this, as really being having a small town feel. And I think that's a little bit of a cliche to say about places. I mean, people people say that about Midtown, where I live. Oh, everybody knows everybody. And there's some truth to that. But Douglas grew out of a rural area. It was bounded by railroad tracks on three sides. It was very dense. Um, and it's never been, at its peak was less than 5,000 people lived there. It's considerably less. It had its own schools. It's had its own shops. I really think it was, I think that's a, a very, unlike other areas that kind of when one neighborhood kind of bleeds into another um, Douglas then, and to a certain extent now, is a little enclave of its own. Yeah, you know, it's a, it's a good thing and a bad thing as far as the sort of geographic bounding by these industrial um, entities like these railroads, as well as the, the river up on the north side, which I don't know that Douglas, I'm not sure if Des- Douglas extends that far north, but I think so, right? It's a sort of sl- the floodplain. Sl- it does. Yeah. It goes up to the floodplain. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, it's these geographic boundings that, on one hand, makes it difficult to access Douglas in some ways. So, for example, um, <laughs> Warford, Lord Almighty. I love. Um, one of the things I love least in life is trying to drive down Warford and there's one of those stupid trains that sits for hours on end 
blocking the street, right? And so that's a problem. But the benefit to your point is that it is a little more community feeling and, and it does maintain that. I also think there are a lot of families who have been there long term and that also creates that sort of grounding for community and a tighter, closer, small community feel that you've got these legacy families that have been there forever. Yeah. So I tend to think of the the geographic boundaries of Douglas to be a little bit of a hindrance for the community, but I like this this positive take on that. Well, also the another thing that makes Douglas unique is that you know, like Orange Mound, it's a which is potentially potentially a little more well known, but like Orange Mound, Douglas was built by African Americans for African Americans, and that's its history. And it's so it was the site of all kinds of firsts. Um, the first golf course for African Americans was in Douglas Park. The community center there, which has been there many, many years and has uh, been expanded, that was the first black community center. And Wasn't so was the park itself the first park? It might have been, yes. I think it was. Because before that, the the parks that catered to African Americans were privately developed by, for example, Church Park, uh, that was developed by Robert Church. And I recently learned that there was also a private park in Klondike Smoky City neighborhood, Klondike Park. But those were private parks, were not necessarily accessible to the public. So, yes. So yeah, so yes, Douglas was the first public park built for African Americans. Yeah, I mean, it's such a rich history up there. It really is. And that park, man, you want to talk about a jewel. That park is just beautiful. It's just beautiful. The park is beautiful. Another thing that I think is unique about Douglas is that, I mean, we you see in a lot of lower income areas, you see industry. Uh, the kind of industry you just are not going to see in a wealthier area. Um, certainly we see that in, in, in South Memphis with the Velsicol, um, there's a number of places in South Memphis that there are, uh, that there's been industry. However, Douglas has a, a, a wealth of it. I mean, Douglas is, was surrounded by industry, a number of plants, you know, emitting pollution and emitting noise, a part of it was the railroad tracks. I think it made it very convenient, but that has uh, had a tremendous influence on the neighborhood. And I guess, I guess at one time before you know the cars became the dominant means of transportation, both the railroad tracks and the industry provided employment opportunities for people who lived in the neighborhood. So it was a little bit of a trade-off, but that's um, that's not really the case anymore. Yeah, no, not at all. And then it, the dynamics have shifted, right? And I think you're right. We should We should always remember that while we can argue or we could discuss which came first in various different scenarios, did the railways come first, did the industry come first, it doesn't ultimately it doesn't matter what you see is in poor communities in poor p- communities of color specifically um you know it's environmental racism is what it is and it's structural not in the 
the social science term of structural racism, but actual like built environment, racism built into the built environment. And so you see a lot of communities of color that are blocked off by railroad tracks and industrial areas that are contaminated over years and years from uh, big industrial pollutants. Like you said, we don't often take into consideration the noise pollution, trash from big trucks, the damage it does to roads and all of these other things. And, um, you know, for sure, Douglas is, has experienced some of this. You know, I think it's, we did a story on, it was, it's a rough thing to, to deal with as, as news, but also as a Memphian. Well, and there's, there's one of the things in this neighborhood history is that I think even by the measures of a previous time where there was a lot of civic activity at the neighborhood level, Douglas, I think, blew everybody out of the water and maybe partly because it was contained. There was a gazillion civic clubs and service organizations, PTA, I mean, dozens. But um, some of those were focused on advocacy, including um, environmental justice issues back before not just in that sense, although <laughs> let's not pretend like it's not very expensive to garden and grow your own food. And so this community-based way of doing it, community orchards, where you're sharing costs, you're sharing labor, brilliant way to go about that because every individual trying to solve their COVID food problems in their backyard, not going to happen. Very expensive habit, that gardening stuff. But also this makes me think of uh, when COVID first hit and food uh, relief options weren't coming to Douglas. When Kathy and Time Is Now Douglas partnered up with a local official Memphis Black Lives Matter chapter and uh, some other folks and started bringing in food into Douglas and saying, you know, we need this. You're going to come and you're going to help us. We're telling you what we need and you're going to help us make it happen. And that element of self-sufficiency too, I mean, just... I don't know, there's a lot of synergy happening in this in my head right now, seeing this, like you said, full circle, these orchards and this feeding people and, you know, nurturing bodies, spirits and community kind of thing, you know? Yep. Bringing it all back home. It's really cool. I like this. I love to hear this. I'll have to make sure to congratulate Miss Kathy next time I see her on this very cool project. So if you're just joining us, you're listening to Memphis Metropolis and WYXR 91.7 FM. I'm talking to Cole Bradley, who's the editor of High Ground News. And we're talking about the Douglas neighborhood. This whole show, we're talking about the Douglas neighborhood, what makes it special, its history, and all that. So Cole, we've been talking about what makes Douglas somewhat unique among other neighborhoods in Memphis. And there were a number of things, mainly have to do with their history. But there's some other things I wanted to talk about from Douglas's history that are, you know, sadly not really unique that we've seen in other neighborhoods. One of them is that Douglas has suffered a lot from out-migration over the years. Um, people, you know, younger members of the family moving out to you know, Germantown or Raleigh and uh, renters coming in to replace them. And that's not, that's not unique to Douglas at all, but that started in the 1960s and it really has had a, you know, a, 
a big negative impact on the neighborhood and its ability to rebuild result in these outcomes that we see across several neighborhoods in the city. So it's busing, uh, obviously, and integration of the school systems, civil rights, general integration, people moving, populations just start shifting. So yes, Douglas is a a historically Black community, but as white folks start moving out of places like Raleigh, for example, Black folks are like, hey, these places that were never available to us that have all these great amenities and these beautiful suburban homes and stuff, let's go there. And so you start seeing these fluxes, right? And then, of course, the factories and the businesses and all of that move along with it. And I don't think it's really important that we don't talk about these things as if they're passive and they just happened. You mean as opposed to looking at the the public policies that drove them? There were incentives. It was incentivized to move for white people and businesses and everything else to move and shift away from black communities. So, yeah, unfortunately, we see that in all of the historically black communities in the city. We see it in South Memphis, North Memphis, Orange Mound, Binghamton, um, et cetera. Well, don't you ever, you know, a lot of these neighborhoods that I've been in, and Kathy and I talked about this a little bit, there's elders who own their own homes. And you can tell by driving down the street whose homes those are. They're beautifully groomed. And then a lot of the property that still stands is, you know, is owned by, you know, investors or could be local landlords and it's Mm -hmm. rental property. And um, so it's harder to maintain stability when you've got a low home ownership rate. But at some point, aren't the elders just going to die? I mean, I don't want to be morbid, but you've got Kathy and her partners in crime moving back in. But is there going to be a point, a tipping point at which there aren't any elders? I mean, yes and no, right? So I think, yes, all of the elders that are sort of holding down the fort, yeah, they are going to die off. It's inevitable. It's, you know, the only two things that we can all rely on is death and taxes, right? But that said, it's never like a neighborhood just disappears, Right. All of a sudden, everybody just dies. Into, I mean, it's not a small town out in the wild, wild west here. We're talking about the middle of a major metropolitan city. True. The question is whether or not it stays what it is uh, or becomes something completely radically different. And, you know, I don't know the answer to that. That's so complex and it changes constantly. The push and pull factors into various parts of town and what is and isn't desirable and all of the for for different groups of people. Right. Like, People are not homogenous. Even people from Douglas are not one group of people. So push and pull factors are going to vary for different folk. I did find it funny earlier when we were talking about, you know, those early CDCs trying to go at a a housing strategy and build more houses. And it just makes me want to laugh because Memphis doesn't have a number of housing problem. It's not a quantity issue that we have. It's a quality issue. It's about quality housing. So if you want to tackle housing, in my mind, it's about going after, you know, those major land uh, property companies that don't keep up with their stuff and adjusting laws to to allow people into home ownership, give access to home ownership for people along less quote unquote traditional lines, which really just means lines that were set up intentionally to keep out black and brown folks and young people and all of these other folks who aren't super savvy and have uh, lots of assets to make them look good on paper. 
in a very official capacity to be able to buy properties and flip them and things like that, you know? So in my mind, that's where you go after it, not building houses. Um, well, policy is where so many things start. Policy and created that, these problems. People, yes, people created the policies that created the problem. But most people in this were just small pieces in a system that were moved about, right? Policy guides all of this. Well, and that's a great segue um, because, you know, a lot of policy, I mean, some policy is just, you know, nefarious and is designed to keep people down, but some policy is well-meaning and it has negative repercussions. And one of the big, if you talk to people in Memphis about Douglas, people who are from the neighborhood, one of the one of the most important events in the neighborhood was when Douglas High closed. And, you know, Douglas had its own high school. It was very proud of it. And, but there was a desire in the community to desegregate schools. And, you know, desegregation, it sounds, whether it's a school or neighborhood, it sounds like a good thing because there's huge disparities between you know, the quality um, and condition of white schools and black schools. Um, so it was this big desegregation effort and where, you know, kids from black neighborhoods like Douglas would be bused to um, to more affluent areas. In, in, in the case of Douglas, it was Raleigh, um, Craigmont High. And then kids from those neighborhoods would be bused into Douglas and everything would all be all balanced out. <laughs> but as, as you know, I mean, and that happened in other neighborhoods. So I, I can see myself like I'm up on the soapbox and I'm, you know, <laughs> coming, I'm coming down, but that's another example of policy that really was designed to do good and just didn't. Yeah. And you know, to your point about nefarious policy, I'm not saying that there are no policies that were intentionally nefarious. Surely, of course there were. But I think most policies, at least the way that they are written, uh, for example, when we talk about these housing changes and the, the push and pull factors that are created to encourage businesses to leave a neighborhood or go to another neighborhood, right? It's not like those policies were ever written as, you should leave this neighborhood, you will you will do bad in this neighborhood. We you know we will take your money away if you stay in this neighborhood. It was never written that way. They were always written as if you go here, you will get more. You know, it's always about intending to benefit someone. It's never written intentionally to screw. Well, not never. It's rarely intentionally written to screw someone. It's intended to benefit someone. It's just a question of who is it benefiting. And well, in the case of, you know, the segregation policies or desegregation with busing, I think, you know, obviously I, the ideal was to benefit everyone, but that's not what happened. And yet again, it's poor black communities that got the short end of the stick. Well, and like I said, Douglas, Manassas, there were, yeah. there were others and, you know, and and then and, and I think going back to where we started the conversation, you know, Douglas being its own little small town in North Memphis, you know, separate, st- separated by the railroad tax from Hollywood, from Nutbush, from other areas. 
when the school is shut and boarded up, then, I mean, just first of all, you know, the self-contained being able to have everything in your neighborhood has gone away. But then psychologically, I mean, what an impact. So Especially here, because I know I know that you, as a northerner, uh, you're not from here. You don't really get this. But in Memphis, you know, your school identity is important. People know so much about you when they ask, where'd you go to school? They're not asking about college. They're asking about high school. And your answer tells them a whole lot about who you are. Or at least they think it does, right? And so it is a sense of, it's not just pride. It truly is a sense of identity that is hinged on where did you go to high school? Yes. And for, for a neighborhood to be able to say that their name is on a school, it creates additional identity, right? Like that sense of neighborhood pride is associated with that school. Like, you know, I would say the one exception to this is Orange Mound with Melrose. Like, it doesn't matter what you call Melrose, Orange Mound is always going to show up and throw down for Melrose. But with the exception of that, you know, I think that having a name that that travels through these major institutions, churches, schools, community centers, the community itself is really critical. And yeah, I mean, how do you how do you create rivalry with your competitive school, you know, your neighbor, the next neighborhood school, if you're going three neighborhoods over yeah. Do the busing. It's, yeah. it is a big hit to identity. For sure. And, um, I mean, and of course, Douglas school has been rebuilt. You know, it's beautiful. Um, and but that doesn't, uh, undo the damage that was no. done when the first school that was so, as such an important anchor was lost. Yeah. Well, and, We don't have time for this, but there's a lot of conversation about um, the way that we went about trying to trying to desegregate schools. And did it actually benefit us at all? And I would say if you look at what has happened to black neighborhoods, majority black, historically black neighborhoods post um, integration of the school systems, not that it is these these people or these neighborhoods fault, but it did didn't on its face doesn't seem to have done a whole lot of good. It seems to have done a whole lot of bad because of white folks and their fear and their choice to move away from cities and pull their tax dollars and do all of these things that then detrimented the cities, Memphis. You know, I don't know. It's, it's such a weird thing to say publicly to be like, you know, desegregation was a bad idea and that's absolutely not what I'm saying, but you know what I'm saying. Well, I definitely, I mean, you just found new and creative ways to continue to disenfranchise these neighborhoods uh, at the same time as they integrated schools. That's, that's the thing. Well, and that's the case with neighborhoods also. Desegregation for sure was a mixed blessing. And it's, it's, it's a, it's a complicated discussion. And I would like like to have it at some point, maybe not about schools per se, but about neighborhood yeah. for sure. Yeah. So well, we're out of time for today. So Cole, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really enjoy our conversations about neighborhoods and hopefully I can talk to you again and we'll have another, we'll have some more neighborhood history to delve into. I would love that. I look forward to it. You've been listening to Memphis Metropolis on WYXR 91.7 FM. 
I'm Emily Trenum. Memphis Metropolis airs every Monday at 1, so please tune in again next week. You can listen to past programs on our program page at wyxr.org or on memphismetropolis.com. You can also follow us and send feedback on social media. Now, stay tuned for Memphis Undercover with Nancy. Thank you.